from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 578, Understanding Microsoft Graph with guest Sahil Malik. Recorded Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm bringing in a guest that I've had over on the .NET Rock side, but first time on to Run As is Sahil Malik, who's a cross-platform developer with interest in Office 365, SharePoint, Xamarin, TypeScript, Angular, and AI. Been an MVP for 15-ish years and the author of numerous books and video courses and work experience across five continents and 18 countries. You know, whatever. He's just a developer. Just a developer. <laughs> but I also think you've got pretty strong IT chops, too. This is an IT show, but you're, you know, the conversations we've had around what's going on with Microsoft Graph and stuff is important. But before we dive into this, I want to read a comment from a listener, because I think this will appeal to you. This is from Show 568, when I did with Tony Redman, talking about Office 365 hubs for teamwork. We talked about sort of email versus chat as the collaboration tool. And Vic had this comment. He says, great show, guys. Always good to hear that keeping up with Microsoft is tough on us all. I do want to say that Tony, Paul, Michael, and Stale's Office 365 for IT Pros is a great book. I do not know how they keep up with the updates. Because of course, writing for Office 365, there's new features shipping almost every bloody week. So these guys have this sort of continuously updated book. And Vic goes on to say, I've bought and updated this book since volume one, thanks to Tony and the others for their hard work. Sort of sound like a commercial, but if you manage Office 365, you should have this book. I don't know if you've got it, Sahil. You know what we're talking about here. What does he remember? Books, LOL. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with technology, even with the video courses now, much less books. It changes every week, so it's a real challenge. Yeah, it's a constant process. And I think we're all feeling around for what are the devices that we as content creators, as folks that are evaluating this stuff, can push out to other folks so that they can keep up to speed. Goodness knows I've been making podcasts long enough. Yeah. Uh, so Vic, thank you so much for your comment. A Run As Radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or via any of the social media. We publish every show to Facebook, to Google Plus, and to LinkedIn. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. All right, my friend. Nice to have you over here with me all alone. No Carl around for this. Because, you know, when you start digging into the graph, it's one of those things that almost seems, it's got a creepiness factor to it, too. Creepiness? Yeah, just, to, you know, its ability to integrate data. Like, how are you using Graph, right? Obviously, it's Office 365. Yeah, the creepiness factor. I guess that's the IT pro in you're talking. That's it. For a very good reason. You know, it's mm-hmm. very powerful. So, as, as more and more organizations, they move to the cloud, and Office 365 sort of becomes the application that, you know, most of us have. It's like a common base layer, just like Word, Excel, and PowerPoint used to be. Yep. The new operating system in a lot of ways. Almost, yeah. Yeah. So people are going to sync their ADs into the cloud. They will have their mail in the cloud, etc. And Graph allows you to program against all this information. Interesting. Yeah. So it's just REST APIs. And if you could write 
a REST API or a program or something that you know, gets your calendar appointments or gets the number of people in your company with the org chart or even add applications into it programmatically. So imagine there's a website and you click install now, log in as tenant admin and it installs the app. Right. That's very convenient and powerful. But as IT pros, I know that also gives us the chills. It's like, what is that doing to my tenancy? Where is the data going? Yeah. So there are, it's a sharp two-edged sword. Yeah, I don't want to immediately go against it either because also my responsibility as an IT guy is to have visibility into what my organization is doing with data. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I my company has a liability around those kinds of things. So any mechanisms I can have that allow me to monitor well so that I know what's going on. That, that, that's very interesting to me. Yeah. It's part of my requirements. So obviously it's a sharp two-edged sword. That doesn't mean, you know, just like cars, it's like cars can be dangerous. That doesn't mean sure. that we should drive. We need to learn how to drive safely. Mm-hmm. So same goes for Office 365 and Azure AD. There are a ton of facilities, you know, where basically there's some, I'll send you a link later, but there's some website that Microsoft put together mm-hmm. that you just log in as tenant admin. It'll give you like the, the equivalent of a credit score for your Office 365 tenancy. And then how good of a job have you done at securing your tenancy? And there are lots of other heuristics built into it. Like Richard sent this email that sort of looks like a credit card to 10 different people. So it'll alert the administrator. Frankly, it's at a point now where if you try doing all this on-premises, you know, you just won't win that battle because the tools in the cloud are far more sophisticated and better. Wow. Yeah. No, no kidding. It's really it's good stuff. Yeah. It's really interesting. And it's a very cool idea to be able to do that sort of review of what controls you have there. Yeah. There's the whole trust center side in the Azure space yeah. that will help you do risk assessments and things like that. So That too. And, you know, things like GDPR, et cetera, there are these rule sets that they've created in Office 365. So if you're in the healthcare space, you apply a certain rule set and then, you know, the alerts are customized to you. So it's it's very powerful. That's really exciting. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Yeah. What about when it comes to getting beyond the portal into like working on the traditional office suite installed on your machine is all the same sort of rules still apply well i view that more as you know just not just not the applications that come from microsoft mm-hmm. you know like word excel powerpoint etc but there's so many more especially apps on your phone right but microsoft is using the same tools now to develop all of these apps as as the rest of us are and that means that you can find a lot of apps on say the ios app store Mm-hmm. That'll work with your Office 365 email. And while that is good, because all these apps, you know, they bring a new user interface, possibly integration with systems, et cetera. They're useful. But you also need to be mindful of, you know, what those apps can see and who can install them. And these are the things that I think it, it would serve us well to master. Yeah, I totally agree. And just sort of having that awareness of, of where those things fall in. Yeah, so like the Azure AD part uh, and the Microsoft Graph part, I mean, these are central to their strategy. So, you know, like at at a high level, uh, you know, you have either web applications or native applications Mm -hmm. inside of Azure AD, and they can both talk to Microsoft Graph. And there are various scenarios here that we need to be, you know, mindful of and careful of, even as an IT pro or definitely as a developer. I think these boundaries are a little fuzzy these days anyway, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the line is definitely being crossed and the need to be aware of what your devs are doing too, from an IT perspective, there needs to have that security conversation all the time. Oh, absolutely. 
But, you know, the thing is that when you download an app from the iOS app store, for instance, just as an example, it's mm-hmm. some dev who wrote it. And it's it's not just your devs, but also the third-party devs. Right. For instance, one of the things is like when you download a native app, by definition, a native app is considered multi-tenant. That means if I write the app, you can use it in your tenancy. Right. And when you sign in, then it'll ask you to install that app in your tenancy. Mm-hmm. So... As a normal user in your company, you know, the app will ask you, hey, do you grant this app permission to read your mail and contacts? Right. And so much more. And your camera and your microphone. Yeah. And there's only, it's like, if you want to run this app, you must agree with this. If you say no, you don't run the app. Yeah. And most people want to run the app. That's why I downloaded it. So they'll just hit okay. But see, what you just did is that you just granted access to the corporate gal, mm-hmm. because that's your contacts, yep. to some random app on the App Store. Yeah, true. And as an IT administrator, I mean, I, I would be a little worried about that. You know, what information? And this is something that you can do under the default settings of Office 365. So you can actually put some governance around that. It is possible to put governance, but that's not the default setting. So right. the default setting is that any user in your company can download the app. And as long as the user has permissions to do something, depending on the permission, of course, but things like, you know, granting access to your contacts yep. is a good example. The user can grant those permissions to any app off of the app store. But it gets a little more sinister because the app is identified by a GUID inside of Azure AD. Right. And the way these native apps work, the authentication protocol, is that, you know, they host the Azure AD sign-on UI, whatever it might be, ADFS or or just out of the box, in a browser. So, you know, when you click the sign-in button, a browser pops open. It's hosted in the app. And then the user provides their credentials. And what the browser does is that it does a redirect to a URL that the app is listening for. Right. And that URL could be just anything. It could be like something colon slash. It just has to be a URL scheme. But the problem is that, let's say if you install, let's say, app an app Skype for Business. And mm-hmm. Skype for Business is listening for Skype for B colon slash slash. Now, if somehow I'm able to hack your phone and I'm able to install an app and listen to the same URL through my app. Guess what? My app gets the credentials for Skype for Business. Right. So on iOS, you know, because of the app store, they control it a little bit. But through the enterprise app deployment, the user can just literally click a link and install an app. You don't have to go through the app store. Right. And on Android, it's a free for all anyway. And in fact, the only mobile platform that required you to reserve a URL for yourself so no other app would be able to use it was Windows Phone. Interesting. Yeah, nobody's using that. No, no, it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So how does Microsoft Graph address this? Like, does it give us capabilities to deal with that, just have visibility into what apps have what rights? Well, so as an administrator, you have the ability to run reports, and there are third-party tools, et cetera, that'll tell you what's installed. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't tell you what was stolen. You know, it may already be too late. So it's like, remember Bill Vaughn used to say this? Like, you should design your traffic system, ambulances, and traffic lights. Right. So those reports are like the ambulance, like the accident has occurred, and now you're, you know, finding the dead bodies. Yeah, figuring out where to stack the bodies, I think, was Bill Vaughn's line back in the day. Exactly. <laughs> but there is the equivalent of traffic lights as well. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the lights are all green by default. And, and you know, you can turn the 
app installation by any person in your company off. But then it makes things a little inconvenient that if anybody wants to install an app, the administrator has to install the app for them. But if you're really mindful about security, you allow personal iPhones or Android devices to talk to Office 365, then maybe you want to have such controls. Well, and the debate is really, if you're that mindful, if you're that concerned, do you switch over to issue devices that you've locked down? If you want access to the business data, use our device, here's one. Yeah. Back to the two-phone model, just because people don't like it when you lock down their personal device. Exactly. So, and it's, it doesn't have to be all black and white either. And the good news is that in Office 365, they let you paint in colors of gray as well. Right. So what you can do is this concept of bring your own device. And this is just the regular MDM capabilities, but through Intune, which is built into Office 365, you can manage people's devices. Mm-hmm. So you can push rules within limits where you can do things like, hey, if you copy paste something in Word, you can only paste that in PowerPoint and Excel, but you can't paste that in the Notes app. Right. Or, I mean, you can go really anal with this. You can say, I'm going to turn iCloud off if you want corporate email on your personal phone. Yeah. People won't like it, but theoretically, they give you that level of control as well. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting challenge to balance. Yeah. A reasonable amount of security, a reasonable amount of convenience. Exactly. Security is the opposite of convenience sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the ultimate solution to a door is a wall. Problem is, sometimes you still need to get into the building, so <laughs> yeah, that is a challenge. Yeah, kind of windows, because by definition, let things in, in and out. I read, I read that yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Windows. <laughs> but, you would hope. Yeah, but, but I mean, we have to be fair. I think I think these days, Windows is, is very secure, and it's actually yes. Mac that has more issues than anything else. Well, and interesting, you were mentioning iOS. And Sahil, give me one moment here for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open-source software for disaster relief organizations. One of our leading projects, called Already, focuses on getting volunteers into the right place at the right time. HDBox is deploying this application in the field in the first half of 2017, and they need your help. Go to hdbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HDBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. And you're back. You're listening to Run As Radio. I'm your host, Richard Campbell, talking to Sahil Malik about the Microsoft Graph and sort of a conversation around security as a whole as well, because this all plays into identity and all of this ability to map a user to a device to an app. Microsoft Graph is actually a whole number of APIs in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And yes, the ability to manage your devices is part of it. But there is a lot more. You know, you can read emails, calendar, contacts, basically manage the whole tenancy and plus Azure AD completely through Microsoft Graph. Wow. Yeah. So there used to be something called as Azure AD Graph, for instance. And, you know, little by little, say, you hear something like, hey, there's this new feature in Office 365. Now you can do blah through Microsoft Graph. And I'm like, but you could already do that through Azure AD Graph because Technically, there is so much capability exposed there that it's just a goldmine, really. Awesome. Yeah. And I do think from an IT perspective, just being able to see this consolidation of all this information is really powerful. And for an, from an application perspective as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for instance, would you like to have a mobile app that sees where you're traveling to and from and, you know, automatically fills in your expense report in, in a third-party system? 
while getting information from your you know, gal, for instance, so automatically submits it to whoever your manager is. It's all about automation. If you can make people more productive, that's good. Yeah. You do, from an IT perspective, I want my devs to be integrating this. This almost seems like the beginning of the replacement of Active Directory when I really look into this. But they're including Active Directory in it, but bit by bit, you can see an ability to handle identity that wouldn't require AD as well. You can certainly do that. Like Azure AD, they've designed it for internet scale because Active Directory mm-hmm. didn't really work at the internet scale. Right. They say that, you know, is VPN secure? Well, you can say that having a VPN is less secure than not having a VPN. Right. And, and these days when people are working in a global environment, remote and all over the place, there's some big companies that are remote only these days. And yeah. consultants working with each other and people come in and out. AD just doesn't scale to all of that very easily. Right. And you're not going to get AD on iOS, right? Like that's sort of reality. That's the other problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, people want to work on their Macs. And, you know, like we were saying, you know, I saw this some, something interesting on Macs recently that by default, when Apple ships you a Mac, the firewall on that is turned off. Yeah. So just basic things like that, that gives most IT administrator chills. Mm-hmm. But there are facilities in Azure AD to manage all of this. And okay, well, you can use a Mac, but we'll only let you do certain things on it. iOS, for instance. iOS is actually a very, you know, because it's a modern operating system, it's the most modern operating system we use these days. Mm-hmm. So iOS is actually pretty secure, the way it's designed. Like the app containerization in it is is very good. But still, that doesn't mean that people can't write bad apps or, you know, people unknowingly may not have bad behaviors. But yes, IT administrators can control all of this through Azure AD, and that's extremely powerful. Right. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's absolutely vital. And this is still a young product, right? I think they only GA'd in May last year, in, 20, in 2017. So they, they're just still getting their feet under themselves. Didn't they fragment at one point? There was like an Azure Active Directory graph and a Microsoft graph. You know, the names have changed so many times, it's hard to keep up with it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But there used to be like three graphs and there were two graphs and now they call it just Microsoft graph. Right. But the way I see it, it's just REST APIs. And it's a matter of how you get the access token to call a certain API in a certain scenario. Other than that, they can call it whatever they want. Doesn't matter. As long as they don't change the URL, which they haven't been, which is good. My apps don't break, and really that's all I care about. And I think it's good that they call it the unified product now, Microsoft Graph, so it doesn't confuse the managers. And so this there is a synthesis of obviously all the Microsoft stack and the identity around that, all the kinds of third-party stack stuff to work with as well. And then this array of apps, like being able to put document controls over pdfs over you know all kinds of different kinds of files and then in theory if you've got the right devs and they're willing to do the work that our own internal apps can follow these same rules yeah so when you get into document control then you're actually going a little Mm -hmm. bit outside of what microsoft graph does for you oh yeah because then you get into things like you have to read the content of the documents and and a machine has to read the content so for instance what looks like a phone number could look very much like a social security number too. Sure. And a social security number is more sensitive perhaps than a phone number. Mm -hmm. So one of the problems classically has been that, uh, you know, all of these tools that tell you that, hey, somebody's leaking social security numbers, 
These tools give you a lot of false positives and effectively they make the tool useless. Hmm. So, but the thing is now with the power of AI, and this is not, you don't have to write all this complicated code. Microsoft has done this for you. So what they have done is that they use Microsoft Graph to be able to read the content. And as in, it's some machine reading the content. It's not a person reading content. And then they use intelligent heuristics saying that, let's say the phone number will probably have the word TEL mentioned around it. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. Sure. But they are greatly able to reduce false positives. So that way they are able to give an alert that says, hey, there is this person, Richard, in your organization that is logging in from both Egypt and China at the same time. And oh, by the way, he's also sending social security numbers. So that then, you know, as an admin, you can call up Richard and say, hey, did you lose your password? And you can effectively reset his password or secure his account immediately. Right. So, yeah, that's a combination of Microsoft Graph and AI. And this is like, this is out of the box in Office 365. You should use it. Yeah, I know. It seems super powerful. It's amazing. How cloud-centric is it really? Like, can you, do you get to choose whether you can utilize this all on-premises as well? Well, the facility that I just mentioned is cloud-only. Right. And this is the challenge that all these newer, nicer, awesome features are coming in the cloud and then maybe on-premises. Sometime later. Yeah. This is say the future is cloudy with a chance of on-premises. Well, I mean, you've certainly seen it for the past few versions of Exchange server on-premises have been cuts of Exchange Online. We're now hearing SharePoint doing the same thing, that the SharePoint 2019 is really SharePoint Online, make a version to run on-premises. So basically, you have to wonder if these kinds of features are going to come down to the on-premises solution. But here's the cool thing, that if you want to stick with on-premises, and some people do, legal reasons perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... All of these facilities that I described, because, you know, Microsoft is, it's a company full of developers and they are using the same tools that we are. Yes. There's nothing preventing your developers from writing an application that does exactly the same on premises. Nice. You just got to actually do the implementation. Yeah. Which can be very complicated. Like the, you know, with AI, especially all the out of the box stuff is very easy, like cognitive services, just REST APIs. But when you go to the next step after that, and you need to create your own AI models, then it can get very, very complicated. Yeah. And the whole AI conversation is a whole other topic and one we've touched on a few times. Yeah. But I find it interesting to see bit by bit Microsoft using their own machine learning and deep learning technologies to add features to their public cloud so that we sort of get a benefit from it. Certainly from a security perspective, and I think from a log analytic perspective, it's really interesting. Yeah. I know it's slightly off topic, but it is mind-blowing what's going on in the AI space. And I think companies are so far not taking advantage of it. The smart companies are. But like I was reading something online, there's this new problem surfacing called deepfakes, like Reddit and all bandits. So basically they're, you know, like what they call is unintentional porn. I forgot the right word they use for it. But basically what they're able to do is they're able to take like an inappropriate video, not picture, right. a video, and then through a computer that costs less than $500, they're able to superimpose anybody's face on that video. Crazy. And, and people are saying that this is going to create some real social problems. Because imagine in a country, which is, let's say in India, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are a little more conservative than the West. And people won't be able to differentiate between what's real and what's fake. 
Yeah. Or or in warfare, like we would be able to create a video of Kim Jong-un saying, hey, I surrender and spread it in North Korea. Would the average North Korean know that this is fake versus real? I mean, it's, you know, they used to say seeing is believing and that's going away. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take that away. Yeah. And, and you can do this with a, you know, $500 computer with freeware that you download off of the web. That's the level of change we're talking. Crazy. Yeah. It's, it is, it's kind of frightening. And it, it get, we get back to that creepiness factor of, as we're going to need to manage identities more powerfully to be able to validate what's real and what isn't. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that we have a solution to the problem yet, but certainly it's on the minds of a lot of people. It's gotten to a point now where if you show me a video of Richard saying something, I cannot believe it anymore because right. the video is so good that I can't, I really have to know Richard as a person very well and be able to trust what he says in other ways. And, you know, again, as IT systems, we do that, you know, like, Two-factor auth, something you have and something you know. Yep, yeah. It's a big challenge. And I think technology, you know, the AI and all, it's getting so powerful. And I think it's also creating a lot of challenges on the whole governance and keeping ourselves safe perspective. Yeah, and then understanding what that safety really looks like. Yeah. So uh, what's coming next with Graph? Do you have any insight into the new versions, new capabilities? Well, they keep rolling out new endpoints. So they have what they call as the production endpoints, whose URLs don't change. And there is mm -hmm. this beta reference, but it's, you know, mostly they don't change, but they reserve the right to change them. So that's one thing that, you know, things like Microsoft Teams and Outlook Mail, Task People, Social Planner. There's a lot of facilities coming up in Microsoft Graph. But the other thing that's coming up is what they call the V2 app model. And this is what they're going to lean more and more towards. And the big difference between the V1 app model and the V2 app model is that the V1 app model requires you to say, the developer, to say, I'm going to need these 50 permissions. And you grant me all of these when you install the app. Right. Which may be inconvenient, but as the V2 app model, you can say, I have access to your mail, and that's all I need for now. But right. by the way, this action is going to need access to calendar. And, you know, if you don't give me access to calendar, that's okay. I can still function. I'll just give you an error message or something or give you a trimmed down user interface. So that capability is brought along by the V2 app model. And that is maturing little by little. Well, and I find that really interesting because, again, we have that whole problem with apps on your phone asking for the world. And either you say yeah. yes and get to use the app or say no and you don't. So I kind of like this idea of I'm going to ask for a minimum amount of permissions up front. And then as you attempt to use features, say, hey, if you want to use this feature, you need to give me additional permissions. So sort of granularizing those requests. Yeah. So you don't just hit them all up front. I just don't know if it's actually in the dev's best interest. It's easier to ask once for the world than it is to ask a little bit many, many times. Well, it depends how convenient they make it. And luckily, it's not very inconvenient. So it's just that a lot of APIs currently don't support this model. Right. And the other thing is with this V2 app model, they're also unifying the APIs for or the auth mechanism for consumer versus corporate. You know, like when you log in, say, mm -hmm. organizational account versus personal account. So they're trying to unify that picture as well. So I think it's for devs also. It's better. Right. The only thing is it's not done yet. It's coming. So that's the only thing. Right. Because, of course, in the, in the V1 model, where you ask all the permissions up front, the presumption from a, from a developer's perspective is if I'm running the app, I have permission. Yeah. And if I don't, it's just going to crash. Yeah. Now, with this model, it's got to be able to say, do I have permission? Yeah. If I don't, then say this. If I do, okay, do this. Exactly. Yeah, a little more complicated. I'm okay giving access to my calendar. Right. But 
mail, I'm a little more careful of. Like, you know, yeah. just go to your Gmail account and search for your social security number. You'll you'll see what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the big thing coming in the Azure AD side. And obviously, there are other things like the B2C. That part is going to mature further as well. But one of the really interesting capability that they rolled out recently that I think was sort of slid under the carpet, but it's a big deal, which is the concept of continually extending refresh token. I forgot the way they call it officially, but what it means is that a refresh token is long lasting, which it always has been. But now if you use the refresh token once every 90 days, it extends the lifetime of it. Wow. Yeah. And the effect of that is that if you have a mobile app, because signing in on a mobile phone is a, a pain. Right. So if you have a mobile app, if you're using that app constantly all the time, you're going to see lesser sign-ins. Right. You're not going to need to because it just presumes you're using it. Yeah. It remind, almost reminds me of DHCP, how DHCP will request a renewal of an IP address halfway through its lifespan. Oh, it does that? Okay. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that's sort of the rules of DHCP under the hood. So, mm. the I, that, that's just for an IP request. The idea that you would recognize security tokens and sort of extend the life because you're continuously using it. Yeah. So that you don't have a sense that you're minimizing the friction for the regular user and only providing friction when something's sort of out of context, when something's different or it's been a while. Yeah. That's really interesting. And other than that, what else is coming is what, you know, everything that's new in ADFS4. They're bringing a lot of these cloud capabilities to on-premises and more. I'm just glad there is an ADFS4. I thought ADFS was done. So, you know, for a while there, it seemed pretty grim. They, they call it ADFS4. I mean, it has things like good support for OAuth, conditional access, device registration, workplace join. That was that came before that. Right. But there is some really, really powerful stuff in there. So, you know, it can work with MS Authenticator, which is another app on your mobile devices. Mm-hmm. But check this out. You can log in to your corporate identity with Touch ID on your phone. Nice. Through a combination of ADFS4, ADAL, the MS Authenticator. So I think it's all very mm-hmm. compelling. You know, you're secure and being able to offer a good user experience. That's exciting stuff. Hey, Sahil, half hour has flown by. What's next for you? You know, I, I just launched a couple of apps in the Mac App Store. Oh, yeah. One is the equivalent of Zoomit, but it's called Zoomer. And the other, another app called Karma that lets you control your Tesla from your Mac, because why not? can it get to one on its way to mars that's the question yeah once they have internet access there hopefully that was the falcon (laughs) heavy launch was so cool the best man the best yeah it was amazing yeah it was incredible but other than that i'm focusing a lot on ai and cog and certainly still in the office 365 space i'm avoiding conferences a little bit this year just want to take an easy year let's call it that we're just trying to cut down on my travel as much as i can Nice. Yeah, just, uh, just you know, 15 years traveling, you know, I, I think I want to see a less of the insides of a plane. Let me tell you something interesting. Brian Randall put on Facebook saying, uh, I just crossed 2 million miles or something absurd like that. So I calculated. Right. I was like, this is similar to what I'm sure you've flown, I've flown, a lot of us. Yep. So I calculated if a plane flies at, you know, 650 miles an hour, that is close to 300 nights and days inside of a plane yeah that's crazy a year it's coming on a year that's crazy yeah like you just lost a year and you know we like going where we are when it, when you're there sure. it's fun 
Nobody enjoys being inside a plane. <laughs> there are only degrees of suck. Exactly. I mean, a, a front seat with somebody feeding me whiskey steadily makes it less painful, but it's not fun. Yeah. There was a couple of Singapore Airlines first class flights where at the end of it, I didn't want to leave. Like it was actually nicer than real life, but they're the exception. They are so expensive. <laughs> they are so expensive. I wasn't paying, my friend. I was not the one paying. The customer wanted me that bad. Yeah, that's that's the only way I'd see the insides of a first class if somebody else pays for it. They're just that's right. Like from here to Europe, it's what like sometimes you can get an economy ticket for like seven eight hundred bucks. Yeah, business is thirty five hundred four thousand, and first class is like twelve. Or something absurd like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's too lobster for me. Can't do it. No. Yeah. I'm with you. You know, it helps when you have so much work, you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And so you just start asking for outrageous things. And sometimes the customer says yes. Yeah. And then that's, that's the way to do it. I've flown first class once. <laughs> there you go. Just once. So I've experienced yeah. it. But it was, yeah. it was good. But I wouldn't pay for it. No, it's too much money. It's ridiculous. You know what's fun? Staying home is fun. That's the best. I mean, the best place on earth. <laughs> the best place on earth is my couch with a cup of coffee on my right side. I can't. I'm not going to argue with my friend. That's that's totally doable. Yeah. Say, so, Hill Malik, thank you so much for coming on Run As. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm -hmm.